y'all. It's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, designer Glenn Drover tells the guys about his follow-up to Raccoon Tycoon, Lizard Wizard. Speaking of wizards, do you want to see if you are a pinball wizard? Hear what Marty and Tony think about the brand new Rolling Right Super Skill Pinball 4K. Also, Marty gives a preview of a new expandable card game, Vampire the Masquerade Rivals. Why do I suddenly want to put on roller skates and watch Buffy? Hello, and welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 205, Pinball Wizard. My name is Marty. I'm Tony. Tony, you sure we haven't used Pinball Wizard before as a name? We might have. I have no idea because I stopped putting them in like the blog itself. It could be in the image, and I could possibly find it in an old podcast it doesn't matter. Who cares? Well, no, I do because I either that I'm having a strange deja vu because the first question I was going to ask you is which one do you prefer, the Who or the Elton John version? And I could have swore we've had this dis- discussion before. And we probably have, and I would have probably gone with Elton John. That's the one I like too. Even though he's not the original, I thought he did a really good uh, a remake of that. But hey, it's one of those that it fits two things that we're going to be talking about in this episode. The pinball part. Is going to be because you and I are going to do a quick five-minute initiative on Super Skill Pinball 4K from WizKids uh, that we just got at Rolling Right. And we've got Glenn Drover coming on the show to talk about a brand new Kickstarter that Forbidden, Forbidden Games is doing called Lizard Wizard. Is it Lizard Wizard or Lizard Wizards? Looking at the prototype I got, it's Lizard Wizard. And I'm going to have to make sure that box is up. I don't know why, but I always want to say Glenn Dover, but it's Glenn Drover. Right. I have to check myself too. Now, and I also found out that if I'm not mistaken, if uh, Google is treating me right tonight, Glenn Drover was also a guitarist for Metallica. Dang it, Tony. I was going to use that. When we started talking to him, it was Megadeth. Megadeth. Okay. Son of, I'm still using it. I don't care. Everybody imagine you just didn't hear that little piece of information. Of course, Glenn didn't hear it. So unless he's listening to it right now. But then he wouldn't. He couldn't have heard this before we interview him. Yeah, I think we're okay. I think we're good. I don't think it really is matter. I mean, I was just when I was searching and doing, getting ready for the interview with him. I'm like, really? Well, I better make sure I choose the right one. <laughs> or maybe he did. Maybe he was part of that. I don't know. Part of the research that we do, you know, our in depth research when we have guests come on the show. You got me wondering. So I went into our podcast notes, and nowhere do I have Pinball Wizard highlighted. So, okay, we go. then man, I guess it just come up in conversation somewhere along the way. It seems like we, we've had that discussion before. Well, Tony, this was actually going to be called another song title. This episode was uh, mm-hmm. we'll save it for the future because uh, you and I had gotten together to play a game of I'm a Mater, uh, a brand mm-hmm. new game that's coming out over here from Plan B Games by Eckridge Spiel. It's from the same designers that brought us like Lorenzo El Magnifico, Coimbra. We got it on to the table and we really enjoyed our time with it. But with a game like that, we went, okay, now that we've played it, let's really understand it. So we had said, okay, next week, let's get together again. We're going to play it again. And then we're going to talk about it. But then come to find out that Marty was contacted by somebody that he was in the same room with several days before says, oh, by the way, I tested positive for COVID-19. So now Marty and the rest of the family last week have to go get tested. Now, thankfully, we're all negative, but that totally blew our chance to get to play the game. 
until uh, later, but you, Tony, are getting ready to go out of town and going to have to possibly quarantine yourself also. That's absolutely right. Now, when you told me this and I told my wife, you were immediately put on the band. <laughs> you, can't, you cannot see him. You can't. You're lucky I was even able to talk to you uh, from that standpoint because, you know, we kid you about door doorknob licking Connell going out and, and getting out in the real world and things like that and while this crazy state. But um, from the standpoint of you testing Donna immediately every day, did he get his test back? Did he get his test back? Did Are you he get serious? His test back? I'm like, every day. Because she was, because I guess if I got my positive test, then you would have to go get tested. Absolutely. And it makes her worry because of her. Um, yes. Uh, I see. So that, Fair. that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that it wasn't that bad. Around here, we have CVS's. Uh, that is a drugstore, local drugstore. And they have what they call minute clinics. All you got to do is go online and, and register for a uh, an appointment. And they just want to make sure that you either, you have to either have been exposed to somebody that tested positive, which was my case, or have symptoms. And I didn't have any symptoms. So you drive up to the drive-thru, Tony. You know the little drawer that they have, uh, like at banks mm-hmm. where they slide stuff out to you? So you never interact with the person. Basically, they shove a drawer out and said, take this bag. There's four Q-tips in here. Please take one of those Q-tips, shove at least one inch up your nose, and scrub until I tell you to stop. So I'm like, scrub, 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 scrub. I'm slowing down. She said, no, don't stop. Keep going. Okay. Scrub, 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 scrub. And I'm looking at her. She's like, no, keep going. Scrub, scrub. So I heard, uh, suddenly her beep, 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 beep. Okay, you can stop. Oh, good. Now take that same end and shove it up the other nostril and do the same thing. It's like, oh my gosh. And she said, which side are you most congested? And I said, well, that's the thing. I'm not congested at all. I'm, I was, I felt like I was just scratching raw skin at this point. So then I got to do it the other nostril, stick it in a vial, seal it stick it into the biohazard material drop-off thing right beside. They give you wipes to wipe down the container that you drop the, the sample off into so you make sure the next person that touches it has been clean and everything. It's a, it's a really slick system, and then everything is online. So what, three, four days later, I got an email saying, go check your results, and it was big, bold, negative. So I have a question. When they said the one inch measured from where? The intro to the nostril until you got one inch from your brain? Because they talk about tickling your brain with these things. Well, remember, this is the deep scrub like they used to have to do they don't have to go as far now so it's just an inch of the q-tip so it's from the entrance inch into your nose so it's not that bad i mean you do kind of you do kind of get up there in the sinus area and it's like it feels weird while you're doing it but it's not like it used to be where they're touching your brain just that just creeps me out but so for me i have to get on a plane to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to help my daughter move to Washington, D.C. So I get to sit on a plane and hopefully everybody on that plane will behave and put on their mask and board the (laughs) plane and then sit on that plane. Because did you hear what happened to a Delta? I have not heard what happened. Because certain passengers on this plane decided that they were going to they're on the plane. They're in the air. Well, we're going to take off our mask because, by God, it's our right. What are they going to do? Throw you off the plane? No. The pilot came over and said, put on your mask. Failure to do so. I'm turning this bad boy around. Oh, my gosh. He, pull, he pulled out the dad line? He did, and he turned it around. <laughs> I have not heard that. That's funny. So if I'm on this flight to Tulsa and my pilot does this, 
You want to talk about a grumpy Uh-oh. Tony? There will be security at that gate when we land because I will be beating the ever-living crap out of whoever made that plane get turned around. Hopefully everybody will be cool on a plane. Hopefully they will. Well, you would think that, but these people weren't. And the pilot said, hey, everybody, put on your mask or I'm turning this bad boy around. And he did. So it's just sad. So sad. And that's, it's a funny story, but not really to those people on the plane. Yeah. But I'm getting ready to be on the plane. So if I am not able to host... When we do episode number 206, it is because I am locked away from beating the ever-living crap out of somebody for making me All late. Right. So just let me know when the, when visiting days are, and I'll just bring the game, and we'll play there. Okay. And I don't know if they'll allow me to have recording equipment. <laughs> That's, I'll just sneak in like a mic, and we'll just talk across the table or something like that. Yeah, hopefully, we'll, hopefully it'll be good, and you'll get back. So that's why uh, we did not get a chance to talk about Alma Mater on this episode, but we will, and I will just say, Tony, both you and I really enjoyed our, our time playing the game. You know, it's one of those things after you're done, you start thinking about it and go, all right, I want to play again because I now kind of understand what I need to do. It's one of those multiple paths to victory, but you can't choose every path. So yeah, very important that you figure out your strategy, figure out what's out there, understanding how the books and the economy work. And I think that's one of the things for you and I, that was a unique economy with alma mater that we had not experienced yeah and i think it's one of those games that more than likely is we'll be considering for the that makes my uh, brain hurt or a squirrely award uh for next year so we want to make sure we get some good time with it and uh and be able to share you know our thoughts on it so if not next episode maybe the one after that it's at the top of the queue for the uh the next time we get together yeah well i was gonna say if if you want to come over full mask i'll be full mask we'll be out on the porch in 98 degree heat we can play again, man. Just You just have to be ready for the biocontainment full mask. Well, we can do what we did last time, meet them all. So here's an issue oh, with that. I didn't think there was any issue with it. We social distanced. We all wore masks. We weren't around anyone while we sat at McAllister's. That's not my issue. It was the fact that, well, we could probably get away with it. It was the fact that we got there and we had an hour and a half and then that was it. We're done. We're, used, we're oh. so used to being able to to uh, sit around for three, four hours, right? Uh, that's because the the mall closed early, so and, and we couldn't get there in time. So it may have to be like a Saturday or Sunday sort of thing. Absolutely. And it's one of those things where if we go to another restaurant and I feel bad because I'm taking up a seat for them needing to turn over. Well, that wasn't an issue that night we were there. That was not an issue. <laughs> well, apart from each other, did you have a chance to play anything else? Well, I definitely played Lizard Wizard with my wife. Oh, yeah, yeah. I guess we'll be talking about that with Glenn when he gets on. That's right. So I wanted to make sure I could ask a semi-intelligent question. Uh, of course, we play the uh, arcade thing that we'll be talking about. But I did teach uh, some people in the neighborhood and they came over and they said, you know what? We want to play a game, but I need to grow. I've heard about all these co-op games. Mm. So I want to play a co-op game. I'm used to playing games where, you know, you got you, one person wins. And somebody mentioned something about this real popular game that fits in these <laughs> times. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think everybody knows what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, yep, pandemic hit the table again. That's fine. So I taught them pandemic. Yeah, I, I, it did. And w- w- it was probably the easiest win I've ever had in oh, pandemic. Oh, good. good. Well, I mean, that's good for them. Or is it? That's what I was thinking. They didn't think it was a challenge. Yes. Yeah, I guess that is a bad thing. You don't, it's one of those things you don't want to get creamed. You want to barely lose that first game, which makes you want to play again. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I was like, all right, don't, don't be fooled here. Don't be fooled here. And so after the game, we were talking about it and Donna mentioned, you know, then she played this one called 
pandemic season one legacy. And they were like, Ooh, that sounds really interesting. So maybe I'll play legacy season one again because we screwed it up so bad the first time. I don't know. Speaking of which I am super excited about season zero. Matt Leacock and Rob Davios added some really cool mechanics. They're going back to the sixties because there's a Soviet side. There's a U.S. side. It sounds really interesting. Yes, it does. And I, did you know about him working on this? He was pretty tight lipped on this. Wasn't he was, he? he didn't tell us anything. You don't care about us. Oh, that's okay. He knows he can't trust us. No, he can't. <laughs> But you're excited about them um, announcing um, Buffy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they finally showed the cover for, um, un, I was going to say Uncharted. Unmatched. Unmatched. What's the, what's the mm-hmm. other game I screwed up on? Un- Undaunted. Unmatched, Undaunted. I kept getting confused. Yes, they showed the cover for Unmatched Buffy, which I can't wait to try out. Uh, I love the theme of that. So it's And the cover has uh, Buffy, Willow, Angel, and Spike on the front. So I can't wait to see uh, how that comes out. And all those names mean nothing I know to it me. wouldn't. But you know what? I will play with my wife uh, who will understand everything and every card that's in there. So we'll, we'll be fine. So can I be the vampire or can I be Dracula from the, the one we just played? Cable, uh, was it Cable and Fog? Cobble and Fog. Oh, that's not. Oh, that's a good idea. Take the Dracula deck and mix it. Have Buffy and Will. Yeah, look at you. I can think on my that's feet. That's not bad, dude. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Because there was there was actually one episode of Buffy where they interacted with the real Dracula. Okay, I trust you on that. <laughs> yeah, trust me, because it, it it was on there. So I do have one issue though on something I saw recently. What's that? Asmodee talked about the re-release and revamping of Seven Wonders. Oh, dude. Did that not look good? I got mixed emotions. Oh, really? I thought you would be super excited about this. Is it because you have to rebuy everything? That ain't happening. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I am not going to buy the base game, which I already have. I'm not going to rebuy all the expansions I have, though I would eliminate a couple, so I don't have to worry about that. I appreciate all the changes they made, some of the card art. It's making it easier to see, help people out. But that means... Everything I got is going to now have to be re-gifted to my daughter or somebody. You know, if I want to reinvest in Seven Wonders, that is an intro game for me. So I don't put it on the table very often anymore. So is it really worth it to me? Mm, I see what you're saying. Uh, but at least you know this time around, let's say you let's say you get it. At least you know what expansions you would want and not want. So you wouldn't buy the whole gambit, right? Which ones did you like? Well, I never got... The second one. Oh, guys, the leaders. Leaders, I never okay. got the leaders. Nobody said I got that. I got Cities and Babel and Armada. Yep. So I was like, okay, those are all great. I enjoyed that. But the people I played with, they didn't really like Babel too much. The only reason why I liked Cities so much, I think, was how it changed the war dynamic in that one. Mm-hmm. And so I enjoyed that one. So I'd probably pick that one up. And definitely would add Armada. Yeah, that's good. Now, I can't remember. I saw the press release. Was there any change in rules? Did they tweak any rules or is this just aesthetics? They tweaked a couple rules, didn't they? Yeah, they, they did that. They tweaked some rules. And probably the biggest thing for me is, which I'd have to buy all new again, is all the Wonder Boards. Mm, yep. Because they made them bigger. And for us old men, it's something good for us. I know they changed the uh, the icons, uh, make it easier to know the symbol, there's like symbols now, so you know which one, which building goes upgrades to the next building and stuff like that, making that easier to follow. And that's a good thing because that was always one of the few things that I, people would forget that I would teach. You know, you talked about it being like a more of a beginner intro game. One thing I do like is that they've uh, revised the rules. Now it's an eight-page booklet. It's uh, 
and it used to be like 12 pages, so it's easier to read and easier to follow. They've just gotten a lot better with rules over the years. So since it is a more intro game, I think that's probably pretty good if there's nobody there to teach them. Oh, I agree. I mean, it's always a challenge. I mean, it's not that hard of a game, but still, anything to help bring in new players. Right, right. And they've also made it colorblind friendly, which is which is nice too. So all the symbols are easily identifiable on the tops of the cards. Again, that's part of the aesthetic of the card. I was curious what you thought. I thought you were going to be super excited, but I can understand. As soon as you said, well, I'm, I'm mixed, I went, because he has to spend money. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Yeah, I'll spend money when I need to. But don't you, uh, I'm, I'm struggling here because I've, I, I definitely want it, mm-hmm. you know, it definitely looks better. But as soon as I saw nothing matches up, I can't use anything. I was like, well, that really bites. And then I do, I do like that they have the new expert pack. I don't know what that means other than it will be added to, for, to each expansion for veteran players. Maybe that will help speed it i don't know when when's this due out do we know yet it's just later uh try september 2020 dude in two months okay and, and this is 10 years now if they had added some really cool tokens they'd have me oh you mean like upgraded tokens and stuff mm-hmm. kind of like what puerto rico did oh yeah or ticket to ride but you know it's smart people have now kind of forgotten about seven wonders so it just brings new life i mean you know there's a lot more gamers than there are 10 years ago and they might want to be, want to get this into in the mass market stores like target walmart etc and so you want to simplify it make it easier to play and everything like that and that's the case this makes sense to go this route but does it really matter because it's not like you can have seven people sitting around a table passing cards right now well the beauty is it plays up to seven people have you play two wonder uh, two, uh, seven wonders with two and you get seven wonders duel correct so you play with three or four people easily okay so in a family all right i'm good with that uh speaking of a cool uh family game there's a game that i need to i wish i could have gotten with you before we went on your trip because you uh you and your daughter may have joy have enjoyed this uh we just got a copy of fiverr finding uh from hobby games which is getting ready to come out in fact uh for gen con online i'm going to be hosting a, an online game um, of this. Uh, but this is a roll and write that I played last year at uh, BGG Con and they brought it over from Germany. It's a real simple concept. You've got uh, five dice that you're going to roll and there's different symbols on each side of the dice. And after you roll the dice, what you have to do is find a five square shape that matches all the symbols in those dice. So if there's, you know, two circle, two diamond and a clover leaf, then you have to find a shape of five. And what they have is they have all the different types of combinations of five square shapes that exist. It's not that many. It's only, uh, got seven or eight. It's not that many. But anyway, because you can do the mirrors and everything and twist them however you want. So it's, it's, it's kind of limited. And what you have to do is you want to try to find as many of the different shapes as you can. Some shapes are worth more points. So the goal is to try to get points. So at any anytime you find if somebody finds five different shapes, there's a timer and they take the timer and flip it. Everybody else has until the end of the timer before the round ends. Or at any point in time, somebody can just take the timer and flip it and say, I'm done. They can't add any more than everybody else is trying to frantically try to find more shapes on the board. And then at the end, you score points for all the correct shapes that you got. And you're going to play that over five rounds with the last round being double points. So uh, it's it's a real quick game. It's a, it's a, one of those things that after you roll, there's not a lot of talking because everybody's busily looking at their board. You know, it's like almost find a word, but you're finding shapes at this point. I don't know how you would like it because it's very Tetrisy. Oh, 
There we go. So we got a timer and it's Tetris. Yeah, that's going to be up there. <laughs> Give it a shot though, because it's, oh, it, yeah. there's actually there's actually a second uh, a game mode uh, where you take the scoring board and flip it over, and on the other side, you, again, it plays up to four, but each side of the board will point towards somebody. It has all the different shapes on it, and what you do is play over the course of twelve rounds, and you roll the five die. And you just find one of the shapes on your board and mark it and then cross off that shape and you can't find and use that shape again. So over the course of the game, you have less and less shapes that are available to you than, you know, towards the end of the game when you've only got one or two shapes left. You have to find that exact shape or you just don't get any points at all. Somebody else, you know, finds a shape and then flips the timer over and you run out of time. You just don't get any points. But I think that mode's going to be fun. I'll, I'll give anything a try. That's fine. Uh, it's something new, something different, a different way to use dice. And hey, just like your wife, hey, I'm all about the dice. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing. If that sounds interesting to anybody, if you want to, you can go out to HabaUSA.com and you can order this game and put in the code RDTN and get 10% off your order. But it's not just for five or five, Dintoni. It's... Any order that you place over at HobbyUSA.com, get 10% off your order. They got some great games coming out. If you've got kids, go look at Hobby site. They got some amazing games for kids. And what's so great about them is when they say a game is from like 9 to 99, it's 100% true. Even though a 9-year-old may like it, so will a 99-year-old. And this is one of those games, Fiverr Finding, which is good for all ages. So let me hear this. We've now got a Hobby discount. Mm-hmm. We got an easy win discount. Uh, easy what? Easy win. No, what's move so I can read your chair. Oh, e-win. E-win. Easy, easy win. There you go. E-win. E-winracing.com. Yep, you can get 20% off a chair. You can go to uh, metallicdicegames.com. Use RDTN to get 10% off there. Hey, I'm still waiting on somebody to tell me what they want for the um, Elixir dice. Oh, yeah, I still need to do that right, don't I? So we both did get to play a... Roll and write. Yes. Do you want to talk about a... Yes. For five minutes, for about five minutes? Well, so I we, think we got five minutes before Glenn gets here. Why don't we do that? All right. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. So Marty and I got to play Super Skill Pinball 4K. This is from Kids Games by Jeff Engelstein. This is a roll and write game that you are in the pinball... What are those called, Marty? Pinball? Arcades. Arcades. Yeah, oh, look, it's on here, right there. 4K. <laughs> 4K. Look at that. <laughs> First off, there are four boards or four pinball arenas in this, mm-hmm. tables, in this collection, and each of them have all different kinds of rules. But the basic rule is you're going to roll two dice. You're going to pick one of those dice, and you're going to move the pinball to a spot on the table that matches that dice rolled. After everybody does that, and then you roll again, you move the ball down the table because that's how gravity works. It brings (laughs) the ball down the table. And so you pick the next one and you keep doing that back and forth until you lose the ball or everybody loses the ball. And you're shooting down targets. You have bumpers, you have flippers, and they all have various rules. And whoever scores the most points wins. So you're rallying up the score real quick. That's it. Very basic principle of how to play the game. The hard part of this game is the tables and the interactions between the targets and the special abilities. You have multi-ball that can come out. You have flippers that can 
shoot to any target because without that, only certain flippers can go to certain areas on the thing, just like you think a normal flip ball. How can the left flipper shoot up hard left? It can't, people. It can only go to the right side of the board. They've got all that in there. Marty, did you win? Did you tilt? Yeah, you can you can nudge the board if there's a if there's a uh, die you don't like. Uh, you can nudge it, like increase it by a certain value. But then if the difference between the two dice on your next roll is less than that nudge value, then you tilt and lose your ball. Like you said, there's little drop targets that if you get all three of them, you you activate a special ability. You got bumpers that every time you hit a bumper, you get a point. So like you said, Tony, the hard part is learning how each table works. There's basic concepts of bumpers and flippers and how they work that's consistent through the boards. But what's different is all these abilities. And I played the cyberpunk one, which has Mm -hmm. this crazy thing where you go to a second level and then Mm -hmm. you try to hack the system by using some hacks that you've earned over the course of the game. Uh, So it has all these really cool abilities and everything. The thing that got me, Tony, was reading and understanding the rules on how the tables work. I kept having to reread the table over and over again before I kind of understood how it worked. Uh, right. And then there's the RPG table that's in there that people are going to love. So Marty, I think for this game, I lost, we played the first one, Donna and I played the first one mm-hmm. and there wasn't a whole lot of interaction. We didn't have a lot of, there's zero interaction. There, there's zero action. Yep. But, but I guess from a strategy standpoint, you've got to manipulate where you're going to want the ball to go so that you can get the right targets. We lost it there. We felt the theme of the pinball yep. game, but it, it just wasn't, engaging enough for us at one time fun but still we were like okay what just happened here how did you win by over 40 points i don't understand yeah because you you don't you don't get to see what other people are doing right so you're you're playing solitaire literally and then after everybody said well i've taken my move roll and go to the next thing and tony you could be on the second ball and i could be on my third ball or i guess you could wait until you make sure i I mean the rules state what you want to what you need to do but uh again there's a whole multi-ball there's there's all these things going on so you don't really get to see what other people are doing and that's what it kind of got to me mechanically i think it is super cool i think jeff has done a great job of trying to emulate a a table and using a roll and write of showing okay well now you're going to send the ball to here and when you go to a space you have to mark off a space that's that's the thing with the flippers there's only like three spaces per flipper once all those are marked off eventually your ball is going to fall through because there's no place for your ball to go at that point except between the flippers so you can't bounce it back up so that's how it will eventually end but like you said after a while it kind of got a little tedious for me it's like Mm -hmm. well i'm on my third ball and it's bouncing all over the place and i'm doing all this stuff and i'm marking i'm getting a point oh i forgot to get a point for that one so mechanically very cool but for me it got a little tedious towards the end i've played multiple times multiple tables and I think it's really cool. It's just one of those things you just kind of need to understand that probably after one game, you're, I'm going to be good with it, but I may bring it out every so often because thematically it's neat. Oh yeah, it is. And if you get the rules down, but trying to bring someone new to this table and having to explain all those rules could become a, a challenge for us. And I'm exactly with you. I couldn't keep track of, I kept losing my points and then, oh, did I double? Oh, multi-ball gives me double this. Or, oh, if I go down this flipper alley, then it's times two. And yeah, it got kind of tedious for me there. And then, oh crap, I just erased this one. Did I have this one marked? But production-wise, I love the little silver ball. Oh, whoever worked on the production of this did an amazing job. The art on the dry erase boards are amazing. The little silver ball, like you said, is, is really well done. Every table is very unique. You know, even though the theme is you're trying to play a pinball game, if you pull back another 
10 to 20,000 feet and look at it a little bit further, it's really just a very elegant puzzle. So you're going to have a dice roll and then you're going to move the ball to here and mark off that space. And maybe you can activate an ability that'll give you a bonus later on down the road. Some tables have ways to mitigate dice rolls so that if you get a bad dice roll, you can pick a roll that you want. So as you're moving the ball around, it's a crafty little puzzle of how can I maximize the points before all my spaces are marked off at the bottom of the board where the ball will just eventually have to fall through because there's no place for me to take it. So if the idea of playing a really elegant puzzle game with a pinball theme that I think works really well, then you might want to check this out. So that is Super Skill Pinball 4K by WizKid Games, designed by Jeff Engelstein. Five-minute initiative is complete. It's Miniature Market time, so be sure to go over to their website at, you guessed it, miniaturemarket.com and see what has just arrived. I see on the front page here on July 27th, <gasps> Undaunted North Africa. You better go over there and grab it quick because it is going to go fast. Also, I think Undaunted North, um, what's the other Undaunted, Marty? Undaunted? Uncharted? What is it? Undaunted Uncharted. What? Undaunted Normandy and Undaunted North Africa? That's it. Undaunted Normandy. For some odd reason, I completely forgot what country was the first one. Oh my gosh, this is sad. But at Miniature Market, it's easy. Just type in Undaunted. Or as I often said, type in Clearance and you can see all the games that are on Clearance. Be sure to check out their off-world design shirts. Marty and I are showing them off and we love our shirts. So be sure to check it out at MiniatureMarket.com. Well, usually I'm grumpy on this podcast, but not this time for this interview. No, we are batting a thousand, Marty, on getting designers who you know make me happy. That's right. Coming to <laughs> Rolling Dice and Taking Names, Emma Drover. No, wait. That's what his screen says. Hold on. Let me get this right. Glenn Drover. <laughs> Glenn is joining Rolling Dice and Taking Names, and we are here to talk to Glenn about a new Kickstarter coming up from Forbidden Games called Lizard Wizard. But as all things Rolling Dice and Taking Names, we're going to do a little chit-chatting. Glenn, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time from your busy schedule designing incredible games and talking to us. Thanks, Tony. Glad to be here. I'm glad you finally let him talk. Jeez, you're going to go like two minutes. Like, can you let the man speak? No, I'm excited. Uh, well, I see that, but you'd be more excited to hear what he has to say. Well, people will enjoy it probably more than what I have to say. But Glenn, first off, thank you so much for cutting a segment for our squirrelies for winning <laughs> Raccoon Tycoon Tony's Game of the Year. Woo. Well, thank you. Appreciate the uh, the honor. And, and so, what, what Tony, you putting pressure on him now to say this next game that coming that's coming out, Lizard Wizards, is supposed to win your uh, next game of the year award? Is that a little too much pressure for him? It's, it might be, but there's no S. It's just a Lizard Wizard. That's it, right, Glenn? You haven't changed the name on me since uh, since I got a prototype to play, have you? No, sir. It's just Lizard Wizard. Now, Glenn, you have a distinguished career in designing games, and I love my train games. So give, give the listeners of Rolling Dice and Taking Names a little background here on your design. Okay. Um, well, I founded Eagle Games, uh, a company, back in 2000. And uh, one of the games that we published was uh, Railroad Tycoon, which was the board game version of Sid Meier's classic uh, Railroad Tycoon PC game. 
we uh, we wanted to make a game that had all the pick up and deliver fun of Steam, but was a little more approachable and had lots of toys in the box and um, was something that really any gamer at that point could have enjoyed. Uh, and that game was published in 04, I believe. Yeah, that's that was one of the games and one of the you know railroad games that we published. Um, more recently, um, I founded a company called Forbidden Games uh, a couple of years back, and we did a game called Railroad Rivals, which is sometimes hard to say. Um, and that was a tile-laying, bidding, auction um, economic game um, that was kind of um, a Carcassonne meets Railroad Tycoon kind of a game. So I've published two railroad games in my uh, in my short history of, of board game design. Short history? Uh, how long is short? Now, come on. <laughs> well, um, my first published game was in 2001. So 19 years since I started doing this. Yeah, I was looking at all, looking at all the games that you've done. You, you've got a lot on the list there, looking at BGG. Yeah, it, it gets that way fast after you, after you start, start up and just keep rocking them out every year um you know we we did some games that were more historical strategy games so we had the american civil war we had well sid meyer civilization uh the original board game we had uh a napoleonic game called napoleon in europe we had the age of imperialism and then ultimately age of imperialism is the sid meyer civilization game the one that ffg published it isn't uh so we had it first and then the license transferred from Eagle over to FFG, and they did a different new design. Got it. Okay. That was like in 2005 or six. Isn't it time to bring that uh, game back? Because that video game is super popular now with Civ 6 out there. Yeah, I think I've lo- logged over 1,000 hours on Civ 6. And if you count all, <laughs> all the Civs combined, it's got to be a sick number of hours just 10,000 or more. Don't dodge the question, Glenn. Is it time to bring the game back? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you this. I've been working on a civilization game for the last six months. Oh. That kind of blends Age of Empires 3 mechanics with something, I guess you'd say, like Terraforming Mars uh, with a Civ theme. It's got like, you know, that kind of engine building with a deep deck and a, a board, a map board. And then it's, you know, we're at least at this stage in development, going to be using that kind of action selection um, worker placement that that we kind of pioneered in Age of Empires 3. So one of the things I am curious about is prior to game design, since you've only been doing this 19 years, and now you could be a young man and you may have come straight out of college. (laughs) What did you do before game design? Um, I sold them. Uh, So I was in the video game industry. That's how I met Sid Meier. Um, I worked, oh. I worked at Microprose back in 1990. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Dang, that's cool. Yeah. It was a great company. Um, just, you know, they were up in Hunt Valley, Maryland and, uh, just, just a fantastic group of people. And you get, you know, civilization, the original civilization, you had railroad tycoon, you had F-15 strike Eagle, you had a bunch, you know, helicopter, yes. sim gunship 2000, all those amazing games. And I had the privilege of selling them. I was their Midwest sales director and sold the PC games and the video games, and the Commodore 64 games. And <laughs> Commodore 64 rocks. <laughs> I was a big Amiga guy, too, back in the day. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And I spent most of my formative years in that industry. After Microprose shut down, I went to Maxis and sold uh, SimCity 2000. And then I went to Activision 
and sold, you know, Zork and Pitfall and you know, Tony Hawk and Mech Warrior and all those kind of games uh, in the late nineties. Tony, he he was right in he was right in our wheelhouse for PC games, and we didn't even know it. That's <laughs> oh, awesome. Man. I'm sitting yeah. here looking at F F fifteen Strike Eagle that on my Commodore one twenty eight. That next to after Marty and I talk, we always talk about playing Bubble Bubble, but that was one of those games I cranked up constantly. I couldn't play it worth crap, but I had so much fun with it. <laughs> yeah, th- those were great games, and you know, just uh, between the Sid and Bruce Shelley working on those strategy games, and you know, the rest of the team working on the flight sims, it was an incredible company. I was sick to my stomach when they went out of business. So I, I want to ask, and I, this is down memory lanes a little bit. When they went out of business, was it just because of the crash of the video game market? No, I think it was, uh, you know, without giving away too much detail, it was it was management's decision to expand too quickly. Bill Staley, I don't know if you remember Wild Bill, he was the other founder of the company along with Sid. He really wanted to compete with EA. And so... There was a, a point, uh, probably in maybe 2002 or three. No, I'm sorry, 1992 or three, where he decided that the company should expand rapidly. And so they added a bunch of people and a bunch of projects, and they just spent themselves into a, uh, into a tough spot. And um, it was, you know, we were doing all kinds of great things. One of the other projects that they spent a lot of money on was a, a stand-up arcade machine of F-15 Strike Eagle. And it was incredible, but it cost $15,000 a pop. Ooh. Yeah. And so where the average video game at that time, coin-op game, was about $3,000. And so I was actually tapped to go out and, and hit the road and sell those things. And I didn't want to. I wanted to sell PC games and, you know, things off a disc and, and uh, laptops and stuff. But, yeah, I, I had to hit the road and sell a coin-out machine. It was a tough year on the road, I'll tell you, boys. It was it was a rough one. I can't remember in an arcade seeing F-15. Yeah, they were out there, but it was it was really... Um, the cost was equivalent to, like, Dragon's Lair at the time. And uh. that was one that was in a lot of arcades that was high-end like that. But it was just a business proposition. The owners of those chains or individuals' uh, shops had to justify spending it by a multiple of income. And Dragon's Lair had that multiple, and F-15 was doing real well, but it just didn't, and, and there was an economic downturn a little bit in the early 90s, and so people were being real careful with their money. So we had some okay distribution, but it just wasn't, uh, it was something that would never re- recoup the investment that was made. So that, combined with the massive expansion of projects, just put Microprose in a tough spot, and they ended up merging or, or selling to Spectrum Holobyte. And those guys had just gotten a bunch of money and hired a bunch of guys from the toy industry, ironically. And the toy industry guys came in and said, well, we know how to manage your business better than you guys do. This video game thing, we think it's a flash in the pan and we don't think it's going anywhere. So we're going to manage it like it's a toy company. Pretty soon, I I, I left the company to go to Maxis, but they didn't last more than six more months, I don't think. So, I mean, what's interesting also, Glenn, is today on our uh, Discord channel for Rolling Dice and Taking Names, there was a video that Marty... I think you posted, Marty, about the call, how much money various video games have generated over time. Was that you that posted that in our Discord channel? It's from 1970 to 2020, which coin-op game made the most money over time? So it was a, it was a, running, it was a running scale, and as the, as the coin-op game would come out, it would go up and down and pass. And so 
uh, just out of curiosity, Glenn, which coin-op arcade game do you think has made the most money ever? It's kind of obvious. Miss Pac-Man? Close. Space Invaders? Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Number two was Space Invaders, which floors me. How could Space Invaders continue to make money? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it did. And then number three was... Uh, Donkey Kong. Was, oh, Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2, and then Donkey Kong, and then... Then Donkey Kong, yeah. Uh, and then number five was something that... Well, a, a football. football game, a soccer game, soccer game. So, just out of curiosity, so you were you were selling video games. So, how did the transition go from video games to board games? Um, well, I, I wasn't, you know, just a, a a pan gamer since I was a kid, right? I didn't care what platform it was on. I played board games, I played role playing games, played arcade games, played PC games. So, for me, it was a question of did I want to continue on just the business side and have that kind of, you know, it paid pretty darn well, but. It was not mm-hmm. very fulfilling with regard to being creative. I was kind of burned out on just selling games and doing the biz side. So I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna design some, see if I can do that, because I always wanted to. Actually, Microprose offered me a job first as a play tester in, Q, in the QA department the, where I would have a track to eventually becoming a game designer. But I was going to have to move to Baltimore with my new wife and work for $16,000 a year. And my wife wasn't having it. Okay. She she would said, No, I'm not moving to Baltimore so you can play games for a living for sixteen grand. And I said, That's fair. So I turned them down and gave up that track. Um I don't know if you know a guy named Brian Reynolds designed uh, a game like Age of Empires, uh, that I love. It's he ended up getting that job and he became Sid Meier's kind of acolyte and he did I think Civ three also. Oh, okay. So anyway, he got the job instead of me because I turned it down and, and uh so the rest is history. I, I went on the biz side. So by 2000 or 99, I was ready to leave sales for a while and try my hand at design. You just can't afford to do the video game industry on a budget. So I decided, well, the, the board game industry looks interesting. And no one's mm-hmm. done big box games with a bunch of miniatures for a while. Let me try that. And so that was what Eagle was all about. And my first few games were just terrible. Just awful. You know? Because, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you try something, you think you might you know, be good at it and you find out you stink and you don't know what you're doing. And then, uh, luckily they sold cause they were pretty, but, uh, eventually I got the hang of it and you know, my games got a little better and better. Oh, just a little bit, man. <laughs> Come on. You, you're, you're at the pinnacle. Now you've got a squirrely. I, we know <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it can only go downhill from here. Well, number one, because you're on this show, it actually can only go up from here. So I, I don't know which was the best way to look at this. So, you're at a high point and a low point at the same time. It's really weird. You know, well, Marty, what I find amazing is during this time of isolation and all, we've been pulling in a lot of designers to talk to. You would think that they would talk to one another and say, hey, <laughs> if Rolling Dice ever gets a hold of you, say no. Obviously, Glenn, I, I don't know who your friends are, buddy, but come on now. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to have a talk to Simon after this. That's all. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, he, he's the one that got you up to this. So let's ask you this, man. So night. 18 years later, you come out, or I guess 18, 17, 18 years, you come out with an amazing game, Raccoon Tycoon. And coming up on its heels, you've got something that's going to, in the same universe, Lizard Wizard. So tell us what that game is all about. Yeah, so so basically the idea is that it's still this land of Astoria, and the mechanics of the game are, are you know, kind of Raccoon Tycoon is the starting point. So we have, you know, some things that'll feel very familiar but Lizard Wizard is meant to be kind of the next stage, the next level up. 
uh, in gamer strategy, difficulty, challenge. It's got more meat, more depth. Uh, Raccoon was meant to be a gateway game. It was meant to be the game that everyone wishes Monopoly was or that Catan was. If there, Obviously, Catan's a classic. You can't say anything bad about it. But there's a lot of luck involved, and, and it's gotten a little older. Raccoon was meant to be kind of in that world of something you'd play with grandma or the kids or your neighbors. But gamers seem to like it, too. It's it's really become popular, even though it's, at its heart, a fairly simple game. Well, no, that, I think that's the brilliance of it there, Glenn, is the fact that it's a simple game, but there's a lot of depth to it when you start playing when it comes in to win to bid and how to how you know how to manage the stocks and everything. That's what makes this type of game so brilliant is the fact that it's easy to get into, but there's a lot of meat to it and depth once you get into it. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I, that was what we tried to do, right? We wanted something that was simple but elegant and you know had those interlocking parts, and uh, it was it, it really delivered on what we were trying for the vision of that game, but Lizard basically takes that idea and adds more meat and adds more different strategies and deck building potential and engine building. So you've got this ability, not deck building, but engine building. So you've got the ability to create more strategies and have a little more diversity to how the game can play. You know, Raccoon, I love it, but after you've played it a hundred times like I have, you're kind of like, okay, we, we can go a little bit harder now. We can go a little bit deeper with this idea. But we have the Fat Cat expansion coming out, we hope. Yeah, it's actually on the water. We've got a, it, about two weeks. It'll be in the port in L.A. Okay, so that's two weeks from L.A., which is about the way the mail has been traveling. I'll probably get it in three months. Okay, I understand. Actually, we just shipped the Robber Baron expansion and people were getting it within a couple of days. It was phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, we, we were shocked. We, we, our warehouse is in uh, northern, uh, well, southern Oregon. And people in California had it a day or two later. And people here in the Midwest had it, you know, like three days after it shipped. Okay. Yeah, we were shocked at how quickly that went out. Okay. Well, I, there's hope for me then. Then maybe by the time Marty and I can get back together, I can get that expansion because it uh, it will show up at the doorstep. There you I, go. I'm excited about that. I'm still. I'm sorry. I'm still a little caught off guard because both of y'all kept saying Raccoon Tycoon, one of Tony's favorite games, is simple, and I could. I kept thinking. I kept hearing <laughs> simple because you're right, Marty. It was such an intriguing game of the rush to try to figure out, okay, do I have an, enough points? Am I going to be able to, how do I manipulate the market? How do I drive that auction bidding mechanic to the other people so that I can actually get something I want? Which in Lizard Wizard, you also have that auction bidding mechanic. You do, yes. That's, again, kind of the core base of the game is, because, you know what, it, we tried a bunch of different things to move away from Raccoon, and we just kept coming back because that, simple mechanic works so well as kind of a, the, the beating heart of the game. And we, you know, transitioned it to be magical reagents instead of, you know, industrial commodities. And we, you know, you convert them to mana instead of selling them for money. But yeah, it's, it's basically that same engine at the heart of the game. And I want to know, how did you get away from Mandrake? Isn't that like a Harry Potter thing? One of the commodities is Mandrake. What I did when I was researching this game is I did a lot of research on actual witchcraft and traditions of those things. And these magical reagents are 
supposedly potent ingredients for potions, etc. Mandrake has been around for you know ever. It's a it's a real root that that people who believe in that stuff prize for its medicinal properties and other things. So it's not just Harry Potter. That's an actual medicinal root. Once again, Marty, learning on rolling dice and taking names. It continues. Well, that's why we got to have guests on because they won't learn from us. So uh, in Lizard Wizard, is it is it a longer game or is it a meteor game in the same amount of time? It, I would say it's slightly longer. It goes 60 to 90 minutes, whereas Raccoon's 45 to 60. So yeah, it's it's a it's a bit longer. But although we're hearing from people who uh, the previewers we've we've sent the game to that they're not going to game out in about an hour, almost exactly. So that's that's pretty fast for a game that has more to it than Raccoon. How many players does it support? So you can go two to five players. So very similar to Raccoon. So one of the things Marty, uh, he's he, Glenn, and then design team kept in the fact that if you lose the bid, you get to go again. That was one of our favorite things about Raccoon. That's still there. That was key to me. Oh, yeah. But one of the other, the, the, you have the various uh, schools of magic. I call them schools, and Glenn, correct me, because I'm probably wrong. No, you're exactly right. Woohoo! <laughs> score. Wow. I know. <laughs> Blind squirrel. <laughs> Blind squirrel, yep. Um, so you've got the schools of magic, and one of the things is you're trying to match up the school of the wizard with the tower has the same school. There's necromancy. Um, and I was just looking at the symbols. Um, and you're trying to get those because those will get you more points. So you remember how you were collecting in Raccoon Tycoon all the same railroads? Yes. Yeah. Set collection. The, yes. the set collection. So here, instead of ha- having to do it in one central bidding area, you have the towers and the wizards that you are trying to bring together. Because if you do that, if you can gain the same tower and wizard of the same school that's worth more victory points and then if you're able to uh spells that you cast in the game are from that same school you get victory points for those as well so it's it's one of those things where i can see our cutthroat group oh it's tough we are going to be um going after one another with this Absolutely. We, we are brutal to each other in, when we're playing the game. You're always watching what the other guy needs and making sure he can't get it. There was some of that with uh, Raccoon Tycoon, too. Oh, for sure. But, but yeah, I would also say that's one of the differences. Lizard Wizard, some of the spells are literally gotcha, kind of, you know, get your neighbor kind of spells. And we, so much so that we actually put a thing in the manual saying, hey, if you don't like that, here are the five or six spells to take out of the game. Because some people... Mm. They just don't want to be messed with. And the game has that in there. It's it's definitely a zap the opponent kind of thing if you want to play it that way. So when your wife casts one of those spells on your t- side of the table and destroys your lizard from that school, then all of a sudden your points plummet because you've captured all these spells in all this tower and you've built around that. And then suddenly, bam, she takes that out. You are now down. People are, uh, I'm all fairness, Glenn, people are not going to be happy with one another about that. <laughs> it's true. That's why we put the warning in there. Because, you know, old gamers like us, we're used to playing war games and, you know, other kind of gotcha games. And some people really enjoy that. They want to get the gamer group together and they want to they want to tussle. It creates great experiences, too. It's one of those things after the game's over, you continue to talk about. Absolutely. You know, and, and we, it's happened to us. You know, we've been testing this game for a few months and... uh yeah, we're, we're we're reliving the experience after the game, going, "Oh my god, when you when you blew up my tower, or you stole my thing, or you 
you know, disintegrated my spell, it, you disrupted my whole game. I would have won if I had been able to block that or if you hadn't done that. You know, you won the game because you, you picked the right guy to hit, right? And, and really, that's what the strategy is. It's you want to be able to target the guy who will win the game otherwise. And it's some of the information being secret, it's not necessarily obvious who that is. So you have to be paying attention. You have to really know what the effect is going to be. It's not just here, gotcha, here, gotcha. There's only a few gotchas, but you have to use them strategically. And some of the things, Marty, you're buying. So Glenn mentioned, you know, this, the market is you've got Mandrake, Foxglove, uh, Eye of Newt, which takes me to uh, Bugs Bunny and the Witch's <laughs> Cauldron, I think. Um, but, you know, so you, that's driving the market, which you convert to mana. And then the mana can then go buy the towers or they can buy the wizards. You can bring them into your school or you can buy spells with it. And there's two other things, the familiars and also the dungeon uh, delving. Right. Yeah. So familiars are kind of a, a whole new element to this game experience. So they basically are meant to be the, the helpers for the wizard. So they can do when you choose the, to buy a familiar and they get more expensive in mana as you go through the game. But when you choose to get one, you can do one of four things. You can use it to score. So you can basically get a point for each card that's in the same school of magic as that familiar. So you're often you're sitting there waiting. You, maybe you got a bunch of necromancy spells or, or wizards or towers, and you're like, oh, man, as soon as that necromancy familiar comes up, I'm going to grab that and score big points. So you can use it. And you only can use it for once, and then it's gone. Um, so you would choose it either to use it for that or for um, casting spells. And when you choose to use a, f a familiar to cast spells, you gather a bunch of reagents. So, for example, it might be five or six or even seven of one particular reagent. So if that's a reagent that your school specializes in, you would wait and you would grab that familiar and get maybe six of a mandrake. And now you can cast a bunch of the spells that you've researched, but you didn't have the... the resources to uh, to cast so again timing and you know strategic use of that familiar uh, the other two one of them is dungeon delving and and tony mentioned dungeon delving is a, is a, a new element in the game and it's kind of a little mini game it's a little push your luck uh kind of a fun mini game where you flip cards up and the cards in the deck the dungeon deck are either gold they're monsters or they're items and if you get gold, that's great. You're getting, you're, you're plundering, you're getting all the gold, and those are worth victory points at, you know, at the end of the game. But if you get hit with a monster, you take a hit. A second monster will give you a second hit, and then you lose everything. You're dead. So everything goes back into the dungeon, then you just left it there. However, if you can always stop. You can say, okay, we're going to stop. I'm, I'm don't, not feeling lucky. I'm just going to take what I've gotten. Or you can push your luck and just keep going until you decide to stop or you get killed. And then there's a bunch of spells that give you immunities. You might be immune to a certain type of monster. You might actually be able to recruit a monster. If you're, say, a necromancer and you encounter an undead, you got the spell. You could actually recruit those monsters out of the dungeon and give you points. And, and, and so you can actually use the dungeon as a positive way to collect not only gold points, but other victory points as well. So it's a very simple push-your-luck mechanism, but it adds that flavor and that fun little element of yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go dungeon diving. It fits the theme. So let me ask you something about that because this that's kind of my first time hearing how that works. And as far as how the play testers have, have taken it, so I hear you know raccoon tycoon with more depth, but then there's this thing that you added in a, a push your luck. 
have the playtesters felt like that was kind of just added on or does it feel integral to the game? Yeah, it's a great question. I was a little nervous that they might go, well, that's just different, right? That's, we don't like that or that's, you know, feels weird or tacked on. It's not, it doesn't take much time, but I think it actually adds a nice little, you know, the feedback we've gotten has been positive. So we'll see once it hits a larger audience, but we like it. It's, it doesn't take much time and it's one other strategy that you can pursue where you're harvesting points and you can focus your strategy and your spell research on dungeon delving and that can get competitive and there's a second use for gold in the game gold is victory points it's you can buy towers instead of having to save up the the specific reagent to, to you know conjure the tower you can just pay for it in gold which is victory points but the only place to get gold is in the dungeon or you know i guess also from your familiar scoring. So you have to, again, it's all about, just like Raccoon was, timing your actions. Do this action, which will lead to this possibility, which leads to this thing. And you have to do some planning. So, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a different twist to the game, but it doesn't, it's not such a huge portion that it takes over the game, or it, you know, kind of changes the flow of the game. The game still flows really well the way a Raccoon did, but with some different kind of twists and turns. I will want to say that uh, the art in this is absolutely amazing. Uh, the art in, was really good in Raccoon Tycoon, and the, the art you've been teasing uh, online and everything just looks really good, too. The the way the lizards are drawn and everything. Which is ma- when the art's that good, it just makes it more fun to play also. No question. And, and it's really, when we founded Forbidden Games a few years ago, that was one of our core principles for the games we wanted to design. There's a lot of games out there these days. And if you're not going to do something better and higher quality, I, I just think you shouldn't bother. So with the seven resources, and we talked about the artwork in production in Raccoon, you know, you have the various tokens. So I'm going to assume that you have been working hard at figuring out the resource, resource sculpts that you're going to be using because having and the prototype, you know, to minimize costs, I didn't get any of that. So I'm using my Raccoon Tycoon tokens. And my, that's my wife saying, which ones I knew again? I don't understand. <laughs> I know. Sorry about that. No, no, don't be sorry about it. And I hate that Marty couldn't play it, but you know, this disease thing got in the way of that. But anyway, so, <laughs> so I mean, are, are you ready with your sculpts of that? We are. Yeah. You'll, you'll see tomorrow when we launch the Kickstarter, we're launching at uh, 10 a.m. Central time. So 11 a.m. Your time. We have some really beautiful pieces of art that we're going to use. And Raccoon had either two options. You got the premium edition, which was wood tokens that were painted and that were just solid. And then later we did the standard edition, which was cardboard, but you got the four color images of the different commodities. Um, we decided to do both those things, but better on this one. So the original game will come with the cardboard four color tokens, but we're offering an upgrade where you get four color printed wood tokens. So they're, yeah, three dimensional chunky wood, just like we did in Raccoon, but there'll be four color printed images of the reagents on them so your wife oh. won't be confused at all about which is which well she might still be regardless of what we do <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the uh the kickstarter and by the time this episode comes out the kickstarter will be have launched one week uh what are the price points okay so we've got the the, the base game which is going to be uh down from 59 to 49 and that's the it's still a premium edition of the game but we are going to essentially bundle metal coins which are the mana coins and the gold coins 
We're going to include the full four-color wood tokens, and we're going to include uh, neoprene player mats. And each of those are add-ons you can do for 25 bucks. but we're bundling all $75 plus the game for 89 total. So, Tony, have you, are you saving your money for all that? Because I want the neoprene mats and everything. Oh, I just got off Ascension Tactics. You're killing me. You're <laughs> killing me, people. <laughs> but again, really premium material. So the game itself will come with gorgeous material, as we always do. But you can add the, the metal coins, which are really cool. I love the mana coins, especially. The design's incredible. And then the wooden printed four-color tokens and the mats. And... Again, if you bought one of those, it'd be twenty-five bucks. So all three are seventy-five. So it's a hundred and twenty-five dollar value for eighty-nine bucks. Is the the, the top end? Oh, that that's a good deal. That's a no-brainer right there. And this will be the only time you get. I, I I don't like the Kickstarter campaigns. It's like, well, I'll just wait till it comes out. It's like, nope. If you want a good deal, you want to get it while it's on Kickstarter. And and that's what we did with this one. We we are actually scratching our head a little bit about maybe we will never ship the premium edition to retail, probably we won't. Uh, on Raccoon, we did, because that's all we had uh, off the get-go. This is a little bit different campaign, a little bit different commodity, you know, um, material that's coming with this. So I doubt we'll ever see the full premium except through Kickstarter. It's, it's, we might overprint 100 copies just for us and sell a couple on our web store, but I, I don't think you'll ever see it at retail. So I do have a follow-up because I know this happened in Raccoon Tycoon and y'all corrected it, that the game ends when, you know, two card decks are done in Raccoon Tycoon. One was just too quick. In Lizard, you are, if one of the, either the towers, the spells, the wizards, or the familiars in, uh, is depleted, the game ends and everybody gets their equal number of turns. Have the playtesters had any issues with that? of the, the one with the game, somebody did a rush to f finish, like they would constantly auction off the wizards? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and since we experienced it with Raccoon, we were very aware of that potential while we were playtesting. And in fact, really just finishing one of those decks, um, the way we've got the game structured now, takes an hour to an hour and a half. So, you know, the decks are deeper, uh, the way the actions work in the game. I actually included a spell that lets you burn off the top five of any deck. Uh, so if you get that spell, you can basically jump time and end the game quicker. But it's it's a strategy that was that was actually useful if you want to kill the game because you think you're ahead in points. Because that's one of the things I, we were running into in the times that my, me and my wife were playing is we were like, and we didn't see this spell, was we wish there was a way for us to cycle through that with the two players to, to get that wizard come up so that we could have a match and it was like well i'm going to be giving you this if i auction it off so that's interesting that's good to know because that was one of the challenges right I, I felt yeah so so the kickstarter is running for how many days 30 days i, I think it's all it maybe it's 29 uh, i think it's 29 days yeah it goes basically from tuesday the 28th of july um and i think we're ending four weeks and a day later so 29 days Okay, so like the August twenty sixth. Yes, that sounds right. So, so we got the price point and everything, two to five players, sixty to ninety minutes, and just pay the ninety dollars <laughs> and get the premium people because you're going to be upset if you don't. You really will. I, <laughs> I I'm really jazzed to get these things for myself. Oh, okay. When is going to be released? Yeah, that's a great question. So everything's done on this game. So. 
you know, we, we, Fat Cat has been longer than we expected, especially with the, with the virus disrupting things. We populated the manual on the Kickstarter today. So the manual's written, it's laid out, it's done. Every aspect and component of this game is complete. We still need to fine tune and play test a little bit, but that's really just the final, final. We could, we could send this to the factory pretty much at the end of the Kickstarter. We always, we never want to promise that because there, there's always unexpected stuff, but. I would think we're going to have this for January. I mean, I was hoping for Q4, but yeah, it's 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 going to be sooner. We put February in the Kickstarter just to put some safety because we don't want people to think that we're always late, right? Because it's it was getting bad. The last two campaigns have been late, and we we hate being late. It's it's not in our DNA. You know, Marty. One of the things that makes me happy is I can use my Raccoon Tycoon flowchart that I created. Pretty much yep. bringing in the uh, Lizard Wizard, and I can get it over there on BGG. Okay. Perfect. It could have been in the rules, but I'm, you know, that's okay, Glenn. I understand. That's okay. That's true. Y'all check out his, his flow chart, Glenn. He's got a good flow chart there. Maybe y'all want to include that on y'all's website or in the rules or something. Actually, I'd, I'd love to see it. it and, and actually, I think you're going to need to up, up, update it because Lizard Wizard, I create flow charts too when I'm designing the game on how resources are moving around and how, you know, the, the different things are impacting other parts of the mechanics. Um, I'd love to see yours. Okay. Well, we can make this happen. Whoa, a little flow chart action here, Marty. We got this going on. I'm liking this. All right. So Glenn, before we let you get out of here with all of our first time guests, we always like to have them, have them play a game that we call rank them. What we're going to do, Glenn, is we're going to give you three items, and you're going to rank those items any way you want. For example, we may say chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. You may rank those in rankings of flavor, the ice cream that you like, the color that you like, whatever. Glenn, do you understand the rules of this game? Yes, sir. Let's play. Are you, are you, right, are you, are you sure? Wait a minute. Hold on. Are you sure you don't need a flow chart? Oh, here we go. <laughs> no. No, hey, Marty, I kicked us off, Len. The last rank them. It's your turn to kick us off. All right, so here we go. I changed this one on the fly after hearing about your, your background. Here are the top three ranked micro pros games. You rank these however you want. Sid Meier Civilization, Master of Orion, Formula One Grand Prix. Wow, that's a tough one. Moo is one of, also one of the best games of all time. Um, that's going to be a hard one. I'm going to go, oh, that's so hard. I'm, I'm going to, it's, it's one or two on Civ and Moo. I'm going to just, just, just by the hair of, of, of its chin, say Civ is better than Moo only because it's just perpetually popular. Um, but I still play Master Ryan 2. I've still got an old disc that works on my PC and I'll wow. still break that sucker out and play that every about six months. And what was number three that he would... Uh, Grand Prix would be three. But I did enjoy that back in the day. I haven't played that in 25 plus years, but that was a really good game, actually. That was a great uh, race sim. So I'm going to have to go with Civ, then Grand Prix, and then uh, I like Moo. I like that. I'm going to use that acronym from now on because I hate to admit it. I will never got Master of Orion on the computer. I, 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 I'm, I'm ashamed. Oh, I'm ashamed. And you got to do it. It's it's an amazing game. Really, probably the best 4X space game ever published. Well, get it on the Switch and it will happen. <laughs> 
And for me, it's going to be uh, just the order that I said them. It's going to be Civilization, just because it's extremely popular and played so much. Master of Orion, for it is one of the best Space Forex. And I never played Formula One Grand Prix, so that one is there. And I didn't realize that the one right after on the list, I didn't realize Microprose did XCOM. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they did XCOM. It came out of our UK office. It was kind of a, a dark horse. None of us knew it was coming. Just one day, it showed up. And we're like, oh, what's this XCOM thing? And we started playing it. We're like, holy crap, this is amazing. <laughs> and it, yeah, it came out of Microprose UK. Yeah, and now uh, the latest version, 1 and 2, is available on the Switch. And this on sale today on Amazon for thirty nine ninety nine, and I'm tempted oh, to get it. Oh, you better get it. It's a sl- solid game. So, wait a minute. I, I don't need this, Marty. That's more money. Okay, fine, fine. All right, my turn. Here we go. So, The Golden Spike, Air Brake, Pullman Sleeping Car. And am I ranking these in any... However you want. However, however I want, you but I, want. I have to, I have to justify them. Okay. Well, being a historian, I'm going to say the Golden Spike is 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 the most seminal, right? Because it represented, uh, you know, the Transcontinental Railroad and the, the the link of the West Coast East Coast. You know, it was, it was a big moment in history. And then I'll go Air Brake, right? Because that was that was a technological breakthrough. Uh, and Pullman sleeping car as uh, yeah, it was it was it was a place where America could could travel overnight on on via the rails. So. Uh, I guess just as you named them, Golden Spike, Air Brake, and Pullman. Well, this is going to be boring, but I'm going to say the same thing. Golden Spike because of its historical significance, and then Air Brake because of its technological technological significance, and then the Pullman sleeping car right after. Where did where so where was the Golden Spike? Where did they meet? Where did the Eastern and Western meet? What city? That's a, I just it's like it's it's actually in the Railroad Rivals expansion we just launched. <laughs> so shame on me for not having them. I uh, the, uh, remembering the name of that town. It's something. It's in uh, wow. Corinne, um, Promontory, Utah. Something. It's in Utah. Yeah, it's Promontory Point or something like that. You know? Yeah, there, there's a lot of. There, yeah, they've said that the national park is in uh, Corinne, Utah. There's a lot of debate on where it really was put in, and then they moved it. And yeah, let's not go there. Let's not worry about. It. <laughs> but there was a name for it, though, wasn't it? Promontory Point or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, so for me, I'm going to go with the air break as number one because it gave Westinghouse his fortune, which led to the the battle with you know um, Edison and Westinghouse and Tesla. All that was very important. So the, if without the air break. Westinghouse wouldn't have given us what we had because he wouldn't have gotten his fortune. Then I'm going to go with the Pullman sleeping car because it did provide America to to travel out west and gave them that capability. The Golden Spike, who cares? It was ripped up and put <laughs> in a museum. So what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. All right, for my last question. Here we go. Chameleons, geckos, gila monsters. Wow. You guys are throwing curveballs now. I mean, it is lizard wizard. Oh, there you go. I was like, what is he talking about? Okay. Chameleons, geckos, gila monsters. All right. I'm going to go chameleon because I actually held one in my hand when I was a kid and watched it change colors. So that was a cool moment. Um, I'm going to go gila monsters because they're poisonous and, and that's pretty awesome. And then finally with the gecko because... No, there's a million of those suckers who care. So actually, it's the same ranking, different reason. Uh, the chameleon, because that's me. I can blend right in with everything. You know, I, I model myself after the chameleon. Then the uh, the Elo monster, just because they're so cool and powerful, the tail will kill you before they poison you. And I'm tired of seeing the gecko. I'm just tired of it. <laughs> okay. 
so anything with monster in it's got to be number one for me uh just because as a monster gila monster and then chameleon because of the cool obviously the change in colors that's that's really neat and i'm sick of the geico commercials with the gecko so that one's definitely low on my list same reason here all right so the last one yes glenn there is an end you have run out of this deck <laughs> thank goodness so my last one is hermione granger jenny weasley or Luna Lovegood? I'm going to go with Hermione because she's a powerful wizard, right? And um, she was probably the most powerful of any of them, even more powerful than Harry. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll go with uh, Luna um, for no particular reason. And uh, then Jenny because, uh, you know. She's a Weasley. She's a Weasley. Yeah, they're, they're, they're okay, but, you know, they're Weasleys. I never read the books. Uh, I watched some of them. Hermione, because she was the most popular one, she's the one I remember. Uh, didn't Jenny is the one that ended up with Harry? Yeah. And then I, whoever the other um, lady is. Say, <sighs> Luna, I don't know who she is. Wow. Oh, so we all learned something on rolling dice and taking names. Oh, my heaven. That you didn't, you weren't in, did you boys not watch any of this? No, none of this? Uh, Adam got in, Adam got into it and read the books. Vanessa read the books. I just, I just never did. Yeah, my wife is a, is a Harry Potter freak. She is like, we're sending her to the Harry Potter uh, amusement park just as soon as the world opens back up. That was her, <laughs> or her birthday present this year, but uh Nice. Some of it rubbed off on me. I saw the movies because she had them on, um, mm-hmm. but no, never read the books. All right. So my my ranking is uh, I'll put Jenny because she would put everybody in their place. Okay. Uh, she was constantly on her brothers, constantly on Harry, constantly, you know, just driving people saying, hey, I'm putting you in your place. And then Hermione and then Luna. But all three of them were probably, the, as Glenn pointed out, they are the powerful. If you look at the books. They are what really, in my opinion, save the world. And, and you got to look at it from that standpoint or save Hogwarts. From that. So that was Rankum. Woo! We made it through it, Marty. <laughs> uh, nice job. Way, way to bear, uh, grin and bear that, uh, Glenn. So we put everybody through that. It's not just you again. Somebody didn't warn you that that was going to happen. You have bad designer friends. <laughs> All right. So the last thing before we get out of here, Glenn, and you may not realize this, but the last thing we always ask every designer that comes on the show is Glenn. What kind of lawnmower do you have? It's a great question. Um, it's been more than a decade since I've owned one. I've got a I've got a snowplow, but I actually have a service now that I'm a, an older gentleman. I can uh, be a man of leisure and allow someone else <laughs> to get out in the hot sun and, and push that mower. That is 100% fair, and I admire that, sir. Well, it's a, it's our relaxing trait here at Rolling Dice. We get out and mow our grass. We get into our thoughts. If you were to ever go back from a man of leisure, just think how many games you could design. <laughs> it's true. Those downtimes, when I'm on an airplane or I'm in the shower, that's when the best designing happens. So lawn mowing would be that. So I'm I'm probably missing. I, I could have two or three more good games in me. Do you have any that are on the burner right now that we need to be paying attention to? We know you're going to get Lizard Wizard out there. I'm sure you, like you said, you got some that you're designing right now. What's followed up? Anything that you can tell us? If not, we completely understand. Yeah. So the main one is that Civ theme game, which, which is I've, I've really been focusing on it even over the last six months. Uh, it's been my coronavirus design when we were stuck in quarantine and uh, very excited about it. I think it's going to be our best selling game of all time. Oh, oh, he's teasing me. 
Oh, I love Civ games. Glenn, I'm so excited about this. I loved your Age of Discovery, man. Man, that is such a good game. So to hear that you're going to take some of those worker placement mechanics and stick them in a Civ game, I am so excited. I guess it's going to be a Kickstarter also. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're we're probably, you know, it always depends on design, but probably looking at spring uh, Kickstarter for that one. But we really want to make sure it's it's well balanced. Uh, I love Terraforming Mars. Really love it. But that's, if anything, that's the one issue with that game is that it's not always very balanced and somebody can get off to a lead and never be caught. And we don't want that to be a problem for this. That's exciting news. I'm sure the audience is super excited to hear that that's coming because the industry has been a long time coming for another solid Civ game. Yeah, I agree. I think Tapestry had some good stuff in it, but it just maybe didn't deliver. I never played it, so I can't judge it. But it seems like it, the, the hype died off on it because of, again, balance issues. It's a hard thing to do. Because it, it's not really a sieve. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Just wow. Well, I'm so, hey, that was in our review. I said it was kind of misleading. I was expecting a full civilization game, and I don't think it gave that full civilization experience that I'm going to get from Glenn's new game when it comes out next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are just a civilization snob, aren't you? <laughs> well, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find you, where can they find you? So we're at um, dub, 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 uh, forbiddengames.net. Forbiddengames.net. Make sure we're to go check out the Kickstarter. We will have the Kickstarter in the our in our notes, our show notes, as always. If you haven't played Rac- uh, Raccoon Tycoon, it's Tony's favorite game from last year. You got to go check it out. Glenn, thank you so much for coming on. We're excited about Lizard Wizard. Whatever this Civ game is going to be, you, there's a bright future for Forbidden Games, and, and we're just along for the ride, and thank you for having us uh, along with Thanks, you. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Tony. Hey, do you enjoy the game Spirit Island? Hey, do you need a way to be able to organize that game and get it out the table quickly? Hey, do you need to be able to way to put that thing back into the box easily so you can get it out next time and easily play? Well, then you need to go over to thebrokentoken.com where you can pre-order the Spirit Island Organizer right now. There's multiple versions of it. There's a huge old crate, or you can just get the inserts that'll fit in the regular box. Multiple options for you. This is officially licensed by Greater Than Games, so you know that they got all the support behind it. They need to make sure everything fits perfectly. While you're there, make sure to check out all the other organizers they have and join their newsletter so you can keep up with their pre-orders when they come out. To see all this, go out to thebrokentoken.com. After Tony and I got together to record the episode, I had the chance to play the new expandable card game that's coming out from Renegade called Vampire the Masquerade Rivals. Now, I mentioned this game last year at Gen Con when this was announced as I was very excited about this game. I was excited because of the people that were involved with it. Scott Gator, who runs Renegade Games, came from the company Decipher, who made Lord of the Rings CCG, which Tony and I kind of got into gaming through that game. And the main designer of the game is Matt Hyra, who has experience also in a CCG that we played, which is the World of Warcraft CCG. So because of the people involved, I was very excited to see what kind of game they would come out with. Now, there was a CCG that was out in the 90s called 
Vampire the Eternal Struggle. And in fact, it's still being supported today here and there. But this is a different take on that same universe. If you don't know, Vampire the Masquerade is a universe that's been around for decades. Basically, it's talk about warring factions of vampires who are trying to take over the city. It's almost like maybe like a mafia or mob type thing where you try and take control of the city. But instead, with guns and everything, you're using your fangs. And along that lines, that's what the theme of this game is. Each player is going to play a faction of the vampires and they're going to come out and basically try to take over the city or maybe possibly beat a rival in order to win the game. Now there are two decks in this game. There is a deck of vampires and there is a main deck which has all your action cards in it. You also have a haven card and a haven is a place where the vampires can hide out where they're not in the street and they're a little more secluded and harder to hit. But this haven card gives you a unique ability that's customizable with every deck that you make. You also have an agenda card which will explain how to win and people different people can have different agendas and the way you're going to win is one of several ways you can be the first to get 13 agenda points you can take out a rival player and by doing that that's taking all their vampires and moving them to torpor or basically they they're all dead but they can come back and we can talk about that later and that's one thing i'll just stop right there that makes this game unique i know that vampire the eternal struggle supported multiplayer really well in this game, which plays two to four players, if there were four players, everybody would have a unique rival. Somebody that you're targeting and somebody is targeting you. So over the course of the game, it's like, well, you know, if I knock out all your, your vampires, then I can win the game. Another way you can win the game, too, is if your rival runs out of prestige. And this is one mechanic that I really like. This is a limited pool of resources that you have each game. And everybody's going to start with 20 prestige. And that prestige is used in multiple ways. One of the ways is to actually bring vampires out on into play because every vampire has a blood cost. And let's say I was to take a vampire from my hand and put it on the table and his blood cost was five. I would take five of my prestige tokens and flip them over and on the backside, they have a little blood in them to show, okay, now they're being used for blood. But that's five from my pool of 20. And if I ever lose all my prestige or I can get my rival to use up all theirs, then that also triggers the end of the game. Now, people may wonder, well, what about if somebody else knocks my rival out? Then what happens is you would still get three agenda points just because your rival was taken out, even if you didn't do it. And then the remaining players will look and see who has the most agenda points to win the game. So right off the bat, I love games where there's multiple paths to victory. It's like, well, am I going to craft a deck to get agenda points? Am I going to make something that's super powerful to make sure I can go after my rival and try to take them out? But then I got to be careful because my rival may be coming after me. So I need to be able to block and protect myself. It just really opens up the door to make some unique decks and and the design space is wide open for them to be able to support this game with many cards throughout the years. I also got to say that the player turns are pretty simple too. You get two actions. You can draw a card either from your action deck or your vampire deck. You can recruit a vampire, which I already talked about how to do. You can play an action card or you can attack. Of course, attacking is going to be a very important part of this game as every vampire has three aspects that they can attack with. They can attack with social mental or physical some factions are better than others at the at the certain ones like i today i played bruja which are very good at physical attacks and the first demo game i played they were very good at social attacks and when you make an attack you can attack somebody else sitting at the table another one of your foes or and that's another aspect of the game i like in the middle of the table is a city deck and the city deck 
has cards that's going to be flipped over each turn that can, and the deck consists of multiple things. Mainly, it's regular citizens that you can defeat and bring them in as a retainer and make attach them to your vampires in order to give them bonuses or extra abilities. But also beating the citizens in the middle of the table could give you agenda points. And again, you're trying to get 13 of those to win. Attacking those is pretty easy. You're going to assign one of your vampires to attack. Pick which of the three ways you're going to attack, physical, mental, or social. You have a value for that. You can then play an action card, which maybe you want to boost that. And if you deal more damage than the life of the retainer, you get to take control of it and then do with it as you please. Some of them have an ability just to attach it. You get something or you can burn it where you could discard the card from the game and it may do things like heal you back up. Now, that's not the only thing the city deck contains. They also have ongoing events that will come out and last for one entire round that everybody can take advantage of. And there's these cards that come out called SAD, Special Affairs Division, which is a group of humans that are out there hunting vampires. And when they're in the city, at the end of every turn, for every SAD card that's in the city, you have to take one damage. So you got three of them out there. You're taking three damage. So at some point in time, together or yourself is going to have to start taking these out unless you can somehow soak up all that damage. Now, when you go to attack somebody else, it's somewhat the same, except that when you pick a person you're going to attack and a particular vampire that you're going to attack, they might have somebody come in and help block for them. They can play an action card in retaliation to either beef themselves up, do a special ability, uh, be able to soak up damage, etc. So the attacking somebody else adds a couple more steps to it. But in the end, the resolution is pretty much the same way. You're going to deal them out of damage. And when you do that, you'll take life away from that vampire. And if they go to zero, and this is kind of neat too, they go to a place called Torbor. It's what the guy, Matt, who demoed the game for us, it's like a deep sleep. At that point, they're going to go down below your deck. You take one of your prestige tokens, you know, the one that you've only got 20 of, you take one, flip it over to the blood side and put it on that vampire because what's going to happen over the course of turns, he's going to continue to regain strength until he or she can get back into play and be used again. But remember that first blood token came from your prestige stack and that's the one you got to be careful of. Now from then on, you also have a general supply of blood tokens and from that point on, you can get the blood tokens from there. So it's only that first one, but that means that vampires never really die. They just kind of go away, go into this deep sleep, and then they heal back up and come back out and are put back into play. In this game, you have two locations. You have the haven and you have the street. When you're in the haven, you have a little bit of secrecy. You're a little bit harder to hit. And when somebody wants to attack you in the haven, basically they have to get their, there's a lot of words in this, just hang with me. They have to get their intel high enough to be able to overcome whatever your secrecy level is in the haven to be able to find you. So you're trying to hide, but if they have enough intel on where you are, they can get to you. But when you come out and want to attack somebody, you're typically going to come out into the street. So on your turn, you could take your vampires, as many as you want, out to the street to be able to attack the citizens in the middle or maybe attack somebody else in their haven. So I love this idea of like there's two locations, the haven and the street and position of where your vampires are matter as if they're a party together in the street or the haven, they can help each other out, block for each other, etc. And the final two things that I think are really interesting too that make this a very much of a social game are conspiracy cards and scheme cards. So in your deck, you may have a conspiracy card that can have some sort of special ability on it. When you want to play it, 
You're going to take one of your prestige, that limited pool, and you're going to put it on this card. But you can show that card to anybody else sitting at the table and ask, hey, do you want to contribute to this card? And there's some sort of threshold that may say, once you have like three plus prestige, you get to do something. And at any time in a future turn, you can continue to add prestige to it. Other people that you've shown the card to can do it. You can trigger that card, flip it over, and it'll say... Anybody who didn't contribute to this, this is going to happen to them. It may be take out an ongoing card they have on the table, which helps them out or maybe hurt them in some other way. So then there's a little like working together. It's like, hey, this guy over here is pretty powerful, but you and I, we can conspire against him and, and maybe take him out. Also, somewhat the same way as this thing called a scheme card. And this is the type of card that I really didn't get to see how to use very well. You use this concept called influence to determine whether a card activates or not. And you're going to do blind bids using that prestige. And you can vote either to do this scheme or not. Whoever wins, their prestige goes away. The losers just put it back into their supply or their pool. And then that card triggers. So this isn't just a little solitaire game where you're just pushing out cards and attacking others. No, 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 no. They said in a four-player game, they said that's what makes this interesting because then you can work with people. You can have allies. Maybe you stab somebody in the back. Maybe you conspire with this person one turn. But then you're going to scheme with somebody else on this turn, making the whole dynamic very social. And if you've ever read any of the RPGs or seen, seen how this works, that's very much what's going on. In the city of San Francisco, these vampires are conspiring against each other then working together. But you know what? In the end, they all just want to take control of the city. Now, I know that sounds like a lot. There's a lot of icons. There's a lot of words. But I've only played two games of this. And I have what I feel is a pretty good feeling of how this is going to work. Renegade had a stream on this the other day when they talked about their plans for this game. And it's going to be very much like an LCG where there's going to be packs of cards that come out every three to four months that will introduce new action cards, new vampires. They can have special releases that introduce new factions to the game as the core set only comes with four factions, but you get three copies of every card. So right out of the core box, you can hand everybody a pre-constructed deck and you can just start playing right there. I was looking for a game that could support more than two players and not feel stapled on. And that's what this was made for. Now, of course, you're probably thinking, well, wait a minute. With two players, you're each other's rival, which is true. The conspiracy cards may not make much sense if you're going to conspire with the other person. And the same with scheme cards. But here's the thing. Nobody says that that conspiracy card, you just can't do it yourself, right? So every turn you can apply one prestige to it till you break that threshold, then you can use it against the other person. So those still come into play. And the same with scheme, you're just bidding against each other. Oh, and I forgot to mention the art. The art in this game is so good. If you've ever thumbed through any of the recent edition of the Vampire the Masquerade RPG book, you kind of see the art style. It's kind of dark and kind of a gothic look to it. The artists they got for this have done a fantastic job, and they worked with World of Darkness and, and Paradox Games, who owns that IP, in order to make sure they have the right feel. They're working with the company to make sure if you're playing the RPG and you want to jump into the card game that has the same look and feel to it. You know, there's there's video games coming out on this. There was Bloodlines that came out. There's Bloodlines 2 that's been announced. So, this is a universe that you can play in on RPG, tabletop, video game, multiple ways. Well, I've gone on enough about this, but I will go ahead and say this right now. When this opens in Kickstarter, which would be the release of this episode, I'm going to be backing it. 
And they said there was two backing options. For 40 bucks, you get a core set plus all the stretch goals. Again, one core set is enough to play four different decks and enough for you to construct any sort of deck that you want, which is which is nice. There's also a $100 level they said that is going to be very, very valuable in the fact that there's a lot more than $100 worth of stuff in that. And I've heard rumors of things like card sleeves, player mats. They didn't say it, but I would hope there's like some upgraded tokens, which I'm always about. So if that sort of stuff's in there and it looks like a value, I will be putting $100 into this because typically I do buy a play mat. Typically I do buy the special card sleeves. And again, if there's special tokens, then yeah. Oh, there's some alt art cards that may be coming out too. So $40 level, $100 level. I'm probably going in on a hundred bucks. I'm very fortunate to have a couple friends at work who, hmm, scratching their chin going, I think I may be interested in this. Now, will Tony be interested in this? I don't know. I've sucked him into many living card games over the years, and he's enjoyed some. He's loved Netrunner. We played Ashes for a little bit. We both have Marvel Champions, but what's going on right now, we don't get to play. But I'm hoping that around here that some people be interested in this game, that I can at least get it to the table. And I at least buy one core set of every LCG, ECG game that comes out. This one's going to be no different. Vampire the Masquerade Rivals by Renegade Games out on Kickstarter right now. Before we get out of here, Tony, I want to touch on something that I happened to read today over on ICV2. They released the hobby game sales for 2019. It hit a brand new record, 1.675 billion. That's up 12% from 2018. It's pretty good, dude. Okay, so I went over there after you posted that link and I read it too. Did you read the bottom part of it? I did. And that's the point I want to make. Go ahead and make the point, which I think is interesting. Well, it's probably two different points. Oh. We are in a period in history where we are constantly being inundated now with political ads, right? Yes. When I read that, they're like, well, this is based on me calling people, me getting their information. So you're calling publishers and people like that to find out figures? I guess I'm being very skeptical right now, Marty. How do I know that those are right? Well, here's the thing. They use the same methodologies this year as they did last year. So it doesn't matter. They're still comparing apples to apples because they did it the exact same way. They said that their primary means of collecting data is by interviews with key industry figures that has good visibility to sales. Uh, They also review data released by publicly traded companies, publicly available NPD data, and Kickstarter data and analysis. So... How they get the numbers, yes, they're probably not exactly 100% right, but they've been doing it the same way. But Tony, the thing that I pulled out of this was it was a 12% increase overall. But, but Tony, card and board game sales dropped 13%. So the overall went up 12, but board and card games dropped 13. The big riser was collectible miniatures, collectible card games, and RPGs. And those offset the drop in board games and gave the increase. So I thought it was interesting that when you think the board game space is booming, it actually dropped last year. Mm-hmm. Didn't anticipate that. Nope. Because I thought, ooh, board games did do good. It's like, well, nope. Actually, they didn't. It's just that there was a huge increase in Magic the Gathering And, you know, Games Workshop is killing it with miniature games and your RPGs was like the biggest mover, but it only made like 80 million, but it's everybody's playing RPGs now. Right. Well, it's going to be interesting next year to see what happens. 
You know, if you go back and look at, oh, well, how is this time? Though I'll admit a lot of families are getting into RPGs this year. So who knows? Maybe it is an increase. I personally think board games are going to skyrocket this year because of the situation. It's like puzzles skyrocket, right? Can't find a puzzle on a shelf at Walmart. I think sales of puzzles and board games are going to be way higher this year because everybody's stuck indoors. I agree. Because, well, let's see. That'll be the fourth one that I've um, put together this year. Yeah. Fourth puzzle. And also places that thrive on collectible games and magic are game stores, which probably aren't open. People thrive on Friday night magic and getting together and playing Warhammer and magic and they can't do it. So they may be like, well, why am I going to buy the new stuff? So it's really going to be interesting uh, what happens uh, next year. So maybe there, who knows, maybe there'll be a drop in that, but an increase in board games to offset everything off. But I just thought it was interesting is up 12% total, but the overall board and card game sales dropped and it was everything else that went up. See, I should have dug deeper into that instead of getting jaded because, hey, where did they get those facts from? Where did they piecemeal that from? Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, so man, uh, great time talking to Glenn. Mm -hmm. Uh, Super excited about a more meaty Raccoon Tycoon with Lizard Wizard. Mm -hmm. That is going to be a blast. I can't wait for you to get the the full blinged out version with the play mats and everything. It's going to be sweet. Why? 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 Why do I? Why? Why do I have to do this? Because it was your game of the year, and you're kind of obligated to do it to see if this is as good as Raccoon Tycoon. Hey, the, hey next year I'll, I'll get the Civs game. Okay, you get this one, I'll get the Civ game. Okay, I can do that. But I've got to right. make sure that one thing I will say is it is a definite four player game. It has to be a four player game. What do you, What do you mean? What Liz- has to be Lizard a game? Lizard Wizard because of the auctioning and the market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we found that with Raccoon Tycoon, right? It's mm-hmm. way better with four than it is with three. Mm-hmm. I think anytime you have a bid auction, you need that fourth. Two or three just doesn't work, right? Yeah, two two or three doesn't work. And I completely uh, was sitting there thinking, well, Don and I were playing. I'm like, you know, we didn't have that pull, that market being driven as hard as we yep. wanted it to. So I was really, you know, that's something you lose, even though it can play two. And we talked about this previously. Are those numbers really good? They advertise two. And this is all board games. Are those numbers really good at two? Yeah, you can play it there, but do you get the full impact? So I will say this before we get out of here, Marty, that Discord that you set up, oh my gosh, people are going crazy with Rolling Dice and Taking Names Discord channel. Uh, we have a Discord channel right now. We'll put a link in the page. And yes, people are using it. And Tony, what do you think is the most popular channel? Food. It's not even close. The board game channel, hardly anybody talks in, but food. Oh my goodness. We've got, we know meals for everybody in the discord channel for the entire week. (laughs) So funny. I mean, yeah. Hey, what's your menu this week? I don't even have to worry about creating one now because people are going to post their menus for this week. Oh, I'm doing teriyaki chicken. Then we're going to follow it up. What was it that uh, Willie put something about a smoked meatloaf or something? Uh, Yeah, I saw. I've never heard of a smoked meatloaf. I'm very intrigued by that. But Willie didn't like the fact I have breakfast for dinner. It's called Brenner around here. I love Brenner, man. Oh, I can too. If you, you want to throw an omelet on the table at any time or even pancakes, I'm good with mm-hmm. that. Oh, and then somebody was posting Krispy Kreme hamburgers. Oh, oh yeah. So if you're interested in seeing all the shenan- shenanigans going over on the Discord, we'll have an invite to that also in our show notes now. And, you know, this week, since we're not going to be at an old spaghetti factory. Oh, don't remind me. Well, okay. It's Gen Con week. I'm sad. 
Oh, you get over it. Maybe next year. Better be. Because maybe next year we'll be having another strike tournament and we will be rolling some dice. And taking some names. Once again, big thanks to Glenn for coming on. Make sure to check out their Kickstarter, Lizard Wizard. We're super excited about it. If you want to, you can follow us on Twitter, Dyson Names, Instagram, Dyson Names. And now you have a Discord channel you can go join. Just look in our show notes. See y'all next episode. Did you get, I don't know, before I ask this, did you get to play anything? Did you want to talk about anything? You just want me to talk about five or five. Why am I covering the mic with my hand? So let me go, so they can't hear us. Let me Shh. ask you a question. Right. Did you have any games you want to talk about? You just want me to do yeah. five or five days. Head over to portalgamesus.com and you can watch the banners just scroll with all their goodness. They've got some new game mats in. They've got all their gear back in. And Empires of the North Barbarian Hordes can be pre-ordered today. You know, what's great is Ignacy solved a problem for me. He said, you know, we're going to help out RDTM by giving them their commercials by just scrolling stuff. There's Dig Deeper. Watch him scroll at PortalGamesUSA.com. What's next? Oh, Roman Banners is up at Empires of the North. Oh, come on, Ignacy. What else do you got to show me here at your site? <gasps> Gear now in stock. Oh, look at those coffee cups. Oh, I've already talked about the playmats. All the cool. There's the Imperial Settlers playmat. Oh, look at that monolith arena. And don't forget to go over there and get Detective, a modern crime board game. Season one pre-order is now up at portalgamesus.com.